Last week, we began a brand new series that we have entitled Great Expectations. And what we're going to see over the next several weeks is the great things that happened in the early church, in the book of Acts, and we're going to be asking what we might learn from their example. Remember, one of the things that we said last week was God's Word, working with God's Spirit in God's people, can change the world. About this time last year, uh, Amanda and I were taking a walk here in Corden at Hayeswood Park with our son Judah. It was a beautiful day, even though the three or four days before were kind of rainy and nasty. Well, we were on the main trail, pushing Judah in his stroller, headed back towards the parking lot, and Amanda and I were talking about life and the pandemic and how crazy things were, and we just crossed the bridge and rounded the corner when right in front of me, a snake the size of my arm goes slithering by my foot. As it slinked by, I leaped into the air and screeched, Yipe! Now, I don't know what yipe means, but I know it's not the worst thing I could have yelled at a public park, if you know what I mean. How many of you would have done exactly the same thing? But I have to be honest, snakes are not the only thing that kind of disturbed me. Back around Christmas time, I was talking with uh, my family at the table, and I mentioned something to them that really bothers me. Now, I'm probably running a risk by sharing it with you this morning, but I trust you. The other thing that really gets to me, really disturbs me, is circles. Well, not really circles, more like tiny holes like this. This is a real thing. It's called trypophobia, and people with trypophobia have a strong physical and emotional reaction whenever they see patterns made up of holes or spots. People with more extreme symptoms will even have panic attacks and trouble catching their breath. Now, personally, I just feel like my skin is crawling and I'm, I'm going to throw up. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. All I know is it's disturbing. I don't like it, and I prefer avoiding it whenever possible. Now, I was prepared this morning, but if I woke up and I saw something like this on my pillow or at my house, yipe, right? We all have things that bother us, but not just those surfacey types of irritations. I'm talking about the kinds of things that unsettle us at our core, things we hear about or witness that disturb us so greatly that they lead us to act. Like Todd Beamer on United Flight 93, he was one of the passengers who attempted to regain control of the aircraft from its hijackers on September the 11th, 2001. What he saw was so concerning, so unsettling, so disturbing that he had to act. Great disturbances usually lead to extraordinary acts. However, as we'll find out today, those acts may not always be the appropriate actions. As the followers of Jesus began to multiply in number and the church began to grow in size and in influence, it greatly disturbed the Jewish authorities. Acts chapter 4 begins this way. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The first four verses here tell you almost everything you need to know. Even though Jesus was gone, his followers were still preaching about him. Not only that, they were saying that in Jesus, the dead could be resurrected. 
This message was so powerful and so persuasive that the size of the church had ballooned to nearly 5,000 men. Surely, we can see why the priests and the temple guard are concerned. They had been responsible for Jesus' fake trial. They handed him over to Rome to be crucified. And even though his death deflated his followers, his resurrection had inspired them. On top of that, the Sadducees were up in arms because they didn't believe there was a resurrection at all. For them, this talk of living after you died was all bad theology. So now we've got these various groups of Jewish authorities disturbed by the size and growing influence of the church. These factions didn't always agree with one another, but they all recognized that the church was a problem for them and action needed to be taken. Remember, great disturbances usually lead to extraordinary acts, but those acts may not always be the appropriate actions. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Peter and John's interrogation is a kind of a big deal. The rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law were incredibly important people in Jewish culture, and Peter and John were a couple of poor fishermen. These two groups of people probably would never have given each other the time of day, but to quote the emperor from Star Wars, there has been a great disturbance in the force. And then remember Darth Vader's response? I too have felt it. The same thing was happening there in Jerusalem. Something disturbing had taken place that could shift the balance of power. And if the religious leaders didn't address it, things were going to spiral out of control. The key question is, what was this that these officials were referring to in verse 7? Well, back in chapter 3, we're told that while Peter and John were on their way to the temple, a man who had been crippled since his birth called out to the apostles asking for money. Well, Peter and John didn't have any money. But they responded that they could offer him something better. They offered to heal him of his paralysis. Acts chapter 3 verse 7 says this, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, praising God. This is incredible. Can you imagine having the power to transform someone's life so dramatically. What just happened is beyond words. But don't miss this. Jesus gave Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, and even you and me a mission. Go and make disciples. Physical brokenness is serious, but spiritual brokenness is the deeper issue we're meant to address. So after healing this man, Peter immediately began to speak about Jesus and how Jesus' name healed the paralysis of this beggar. And not only that, if these people repented and turned to God and put their faith in Jesus, their inner brokenness could be completely healed like the beggar's inner brokenness had been. The, this scene of divine healing is a situation that caused the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees to be greatly disturbed. Jesus was crucified and buried, and yet he continued to make trouble for them. This matter had to be addressed, and it had to be addressed fast. Back to chapter 4. Verse 8 says, 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you don't know this about Peter, he is a fighter. He doesn't get pushed around and he doesn't get intimidated easily. That's why his denial of Jesus on the night of his capture was so bizarre. It's totally out of character for him. That night, Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times. And once he even denied knowing Jesus to a little girl. Now, he's standing in front of the most important people in Judaism, defiantly proclaiming Jesus. Where did this courage and confidence come from? What changed in Peter? The answer is easy. Peter saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. This is one of the greatest evidences for our faith. Regular people, just like us, were transformed from wimps to witnesses, from weaklings to warriors overnight. You don't manufacture this kind of response based off something you know to be a lie. Peter genuinely believed that Jesus conquered the grave, and it emboldened him to preach his name. And it terrified the religious leaders. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Can we just pause right there and appreciate what we just read? Far too many Christians will sit on their hands and bite their tongues because they don't feel like they know enough. They don't feel like they're pious enough or prepared enough. And that's a load of dirty diapers. Peter and John spent time with Jesus, and that was all the qualification that they needed. They were, there, there were really only two possible reasons someone would be satisfied to sit silent while opportunities to share Jesus and make disciples pass them by. One, they're a coward. Or two, they don't have a real relationship with Jesus. H.G. Wells once said, The trouble with so many people is that the voice of their neighbors sounds louder in their ears than the voice of God. We've got no excuses for not sharing Jesus and making disciples. Jesus' enemies recognized two important things, that Jesus' followers had courage and they'd spent time with him. These are the only qualifications you and I need to represent Jesus. Verse 14, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is a tactic familiar to us today, right? The religious leaders couldn't argue with what they'd seen. The evidence was plain as the noses on their faces. So instead of submitting to the evidence or arguing their point of view, 
they saw instead to censor and intimidate the followers of Jesus. Again, this isn't a new approach, so we shouldn't be surprised to see it exercised on social media and in the public square today. My freshman year of high school, I played on our school's basketball team. Now, our team was not very good at all. In my heart, I wanted to be great, but I had a lot less to work with in reality. I wasn't very big, I wasn't super fast, but I loved basketball. Well, on one of the last games of the season, we were in a close game and we had a little bit of a lead, but Clarksville had scored a couple times and we really needed a basket. So I had the ball and I faked left, put my head down and took two steps toward the basket to do a little floater in the lane. When out of nowhere, I'm hit by a 253 pound kid with a beard that makes Al Borland jealous, okay? I mean, when I say he laid me out, he laid me out. He hit me so hard that my credit score dropped, okay? As I staggered back to my feet to go shoot my free throws, I had pretty much concluded that I would not be doing that again until he made a point to come to me uh, and say that if I come back into the lane, he's gonna hit me even harder. Now, I may have been small and I may not have had the greatest skills, but what I did have was five fouls to give and that jabroni had just earned a couple of them. I don't mind losing, but I wasn't gonna be intimidated by anyone or I was gonna have to go home and face my mom, which would have been way worse. As followers of Jesus, we need to learn to accept the fact that our faith in Jesus and our devotion to him greatly disturbs the world that doesn't understand him. In Jesus' name, there is power to change people's lives for eternity. Wounds and brokenness that have existed for years and years can be healed and can, can be addressed in Jesus' name. And that terrifies the devil and the unseen forces that serve him. So the sooner we come to grips with the fact that our faith greatly disturbs the world around us, the sooner we can get over whether we are liked or not. We can get over being rejected by our peers and overlooked by our colleagues. Of course, we're going to experience hostility and even persecution. Receiving nasty treatment for loving Jesus isn't news, it's natural. So how should we respond? Well, here's how the disciples responded. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Now, given their response, it's crystal clear what was important to Peter and John. They were far less concerned with what was right in the eyes of their interrogators and cared way more about what was right in the eyes of God. They basically said, you guys are going to have to judge for yourself what you think is right, but we aren't going to stop preaching the greatness of Jesus. John Knox was one of the most influential preachers of his day. He lived in Scotland during the 1500s at a time when Protestants and Catholics were literally at each other's throats. At one point, Knox was captured and forced to do slave labor for like 19 months. After his death, it was said of Knox, he feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. As we consider the example of Peter and John and men like Knox, the question that arises is, what drives us? We all have a love for something that we can't seem to get out of our system. A starving artist loves art so much that they don't care if they ever make money off of their work. They willingly sacrifice money for the chance to pursue their art. 
Some people are driven by pleasure, others motivated by success. And they're often willing to sacrifice relationships and their integrity to get them. What about you? What drives you? Maybe your thing is comfort or family. Well, Peter and John's thing was Jesus. Their love for him consumed their thoughts and actions so much that they couldn't help talking about him. And he impacted their lives so profoundly, unsettled them so greatly, that they could never be quiet or go back to fishing. The name of Jesus disturbed the religious leaders, but it inspired his followers. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. As disturbed as they were, the religious leaders could do little else to Peter and John because their actions were fruitful and undeniable. They healed a guy who had been disabled for 40 years. And it turns out, that's hard to argue with. The most unassailable defense of Christianity is men and women choosing to live like Jesus. Story is told of a little boy who sat down at the kitchen table with crayons and a giant sheet of paper. Seeing this, the boy's dad asked him what he was planning to draw, and the little boy replied, God. Soon the you know, dad replied, well, you know, nobody knows what God looks like. Thinking for a minute, the boy looked up at his father and replied, well, when I'm done, I guess they will. Like Peter and John, each and every one of us have the opportunity to show the world around us what God looks like in our own unique way. When we stand for him, even in the face of fear and uncertainty, the world around us gets a clearer picture of our heavenly father and his son, Jesus. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and accept him as your savior, you can do that today. If you're not sure what your next step on this journey is, don't hesitate to email us at info at lincolnhillschristian.com because we're here to help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the example of men like Peter and John and the courage that they display in your word. Help us to live with the same kind of boldness so that those we come into contact with might see a clear picture of Jesus and then have a relationship with him like we do. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.